the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we can Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome back to We Get Real AF, everybody. I am Sue Robinson. And I'm Vanessa Alava. Be sure to check us out on social media at We Get Real AF across all social platforms. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Every week, Vanessa and I are doing this. We like to just sort of go through what's going on in the world of technology in the news and also in science. Um, Just so many interesting things happening out there. Some are really way out and super futuristic and others are practical and affect our everyday lives. Today, we have each selected a few topics that we wanted to um, tell you about and then just sort of bounce our ideas off of each other. Vanessa, do you want to take it away with your first tech topic of the week? Sure. I think this is pretty relevant as we are all um, kind of navigating this hybrid model of working remotely now and potentially going back into the office. Um, But Microsoft announced that it's ready to rent Windows 365 cloud PCs. And um, it starts for as little as $20 per month. But I think that this is really going to um, give, especially... uh, maybe not so much like these large, large businesses, but medium-sized to small businesses, the opportunity to potentially address security issues. People will be able to log in to their desktop per se and use all of the things that they would at their desk at at their physical location in the office. Um, And I know for a fact, you know, larger organizations do have what they call these intranets where you do log in and you have a a password and everything is saved um, and and you get to kind of just pop in and out and nothing is um, tampered with, if you will. Uh, So this could be an option for, hey, we're gonna give you a stipend for equipment use of your personal equipment, but this is gonna be a login where you go in, you're able to see the server, you're able to uh, access all of our files, but you're going in and out with a login and password, increased security, um, it's very affordable. Uh, so it definitely caters to this new uh, business model of hybrid working. What do you think, Sue? I think it sounds really intriguing. It makes me think of, it sounds to me, if, if I'm understanding it correctly, like sort of an extension of the virtual proxy network, the VPNs that we're all using anyway, to log into our company servers and we know have varying levels of security on them. Mm -hmm. But now you're taking your your own personal PC and connecting it to a cloud-based PC, which is then connecting to all those things. So maybe that adds another layer of, yeah, to your point, um, security, but really interesting. And yeah, I think we're going to be hybrid for the foreseeable future, potentially remote, depending on how this Delta variant goes. So exactly. Definitely check it out. Uh, They have varying levels of subscription, um, but this is for enterprise business use and the time is right. Yeah, for sure. Well, moving on and the topic of uh, working remotely and, you know, we've all been on so many Zoom meetings over the past year and a half. um, And 
you guys may have heard that Zoom was ordered by a judge to pay a settlement for not securing all the virtual meetings that we were in uh, in, in 2020. Um, there were incidences where hackers got in, where pornography showed up during a Zoom meeting or uh, other kinds of information was um, extracted from that meeting. And so uh, Zoom has reached an $85 million settlement lawsuit, which for individuals affected, if you were part of that class action suit, uh, ends up being about 25 to 15 to $25 per person. <laughs> I think they're, they're calling it Zoom bombing, I guess, is the term for exactly uh, <laughs> during your Zoom meeting. We had two episodes back in 2020 with Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. They were episodes number 23 and 24. And I, I really advise y'all to go back and listen to those because she had just great practical advice about if you are, as we expect we will continue to be, uh, meeting with people remotely, there are things that a lot of folks just don't think about like, and, and thank goodness for these virtual backdrops like you see Vanessa and I have here right now, if, if you're watching us on YouTube or on Twitch right now. Um, but previously people you know, could look through your camera and see what's around you in your room. Mm -hmm. um, they could actually geolocate you through your computer. So it's just so important to continue to be vigilant um, and, and really, really mindful that when you're in these meetings or in these presentations or on your, you're on a platform like we are right now, um, just be aware that somebody could be watching. Absolutely. And I just want to say Zoom is a great platform. Oh, yeah. I mean, we use it for our, you know, recording of our podcast and on Twitch, on live. It's a great resource. And no one could have anticipated, obviously, what happened last year and the influx of people that were going to start utilizing Zoom. So it was only a matter of time before, again, we always talking about the tech for good. And then the, the users are the ones that sometimes cause, you know, havoc here, but it was only a matter of time before those types of things happen and hackers are out there and they're going to try to get attention. So honestly, 85 million, $20 a person is kind of like a drop in the bucket mm -hmm. for, for Zoom, I think, especially after a year like last year where so many right. people were relying on their service. So I think they did the right thing and they're acknowledging it. And, you know, it, it, I, I don't feel like it's Zoom, shame on you. It's like, mm -mm. there's only a matter of time. People, especially in technology, I think at some point in time or another, you're going to be a victim to <laughs> this type of thing. Yeah. You just have to be really mindful. And I actually would love to have on our podcast, a white Hat. I think they call them white hat hackers, people who are ethical hackers, right. who actually, you know, the government works with and companies work with who try to get ahead of the, the real hackers to try mm -hmm. to figure out what the vulnerabilities are in your system. That is such an interesting uh, world. I think. So if y'all know anybody. <laughs> yeah. I want to take that a step further because I think it's super interesting. Real hackers that were doing it for not great intentions before who are now on the good side, uh -huh. like ask them about motives and why, and ask them about that and that transition to the good <laughs> side from the dark side, you know, like that would be really interesting to me. So if you, you're a hacker out there and you've had a change of heart <laughs> and we, we'd, love to we chat would, with you. we'd love to chat with you, but we, we may be a little paranoid about how we, how we go about <laughs> doing that, right? What platform we're using. But anyway, yes, it's a very interesting um, sphere and it's, as long as we continue to rely more and more on our technology, we're going to be hacked and we're going to have to, you know, uh, stay ahead of, of the bad intent. So, yeah, absolutely. I don't know, Sue, mine is like a pretty in-depth topic. Let's tap into a couple of the others that you have before we get into this one, because I think this one's going to take up the rest of the, of the show. 
Okay. Sounds good. So on the, on a similar vein about being hacked and the nefarious side of what can happen when you're interacting with anybody through the web, just a heads up to those of you who do Facebook games or social media games, or who use those apps where they take a picture of your face and then they um, the app can change that into a cartoon or a painting. Those things are all really fun to do. I know, especially probably our kids find those things to be entertaining and they use them on social media, but those kinds of quizzes and apps can actually make you really vulnerable to hackers because a lot of times the social media quizzes will say things like, what high school did you go to? Or they use stuff that, is frequently used as pass phrases by people as well. And regarding the apps that take people's pictures and then morph them into something else, there's no control or really knowing whether that company that created the app, where, where are your pictures then going? So, and especially when they're free apps, I think the watchword here is that anytime you download something for free, you are not the customer, you are the product. And just keep that in mind. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, they're testing their product out on you, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting. And the thing one, the one that comes to mind the most is Snapchat, right? Like you have a picture of yourself, you're playing with filters. And, you know, my question is with those types of apps, and this is just hypothetical, but it's live at the time that you're doing it. So is that being potentially recorded without you knowing, not even intentionally by Snapchat, but by a hacker that's in Snapchat? I mean, all these other dark places of the internet that exist that we have to acknowledge. So to Sue's point, be very, very careful. And I, goodness, I want to take it a step further. Games and quizzes, you know, that are out there that are free. And a lot of people play like the Candy Crush and all of that. And they're on it for hours at a time, right? So what is it doing in the background of your device while you're playing? Like Mm -hmm. what type of information is it extracting during that time? Even if it's not taking a picture of you per se, or asking for a password, if it's on, and you're on it for that amount of time, what other information is it extracting? Yeah, I think that's, those are all really fair questions and things that we need to think about. And we always like to remind people to be really um, conscientious about minding your privacy settings on all your devices. And so we will link uh, in this episode on our show notes uh, of the podcast, a a really helpful guide for e-commerce sites, email and voice communication, health apps, food delivery services, and mobile and location services, um, privacy settings tips from the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Uh, it's, it's really helpful. And um, it's, you can go to their website at staysafeonline.org. But it's probably worth taking a moment to go back from time to time and check out your privacy settings on all those sites. Yeah, I think that's so important to, to really hone in on, Sue, because as we've articulated with other episodes of the We Get Really Have podcast, that sometimes we just download these apps and that's it. We just start using them versus mm-hmm. going into the settings and the privacy settings of that specific app. So just know that you have that freedom to go in there and say, yes, I allow this or no, I don't allow that. And Apple has also come out with the recent um, update that helps do that. But I would just go in that extra step into certain apps as you download them or from time to time, just in case things have changed and and adjust those settings specifically um, for for the app that you're um, utilizing the most. Or if you're not utilizing the apps anymore, just delete them off your phone. Yeah, that was one of the top tips that Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor, gave us in those um, episodes in which we spoke with her on this podcast. If you don't use the app, delete it because it's still gathering information, even if it's inactive. Exactly. All right, moving on, 
two college textbooks. So I have three daughters who have graduated from college. I can attest as a mom and anybody who's a recent college grad or remembers being in college knows how freaking expensive textbooks are. And so Pearson is one of the textbook publishers and they have decided that they are going to take a page from the Netflix business model. And they're actually going to start offering this fall a subscription service to their textbooks. Um, and I think it, it's like $69 a month or something like that. You can, you can look it up. It's um, the article I found was on the verge and Pearson is P E A R S O N. It's one of the uh, textbook um, printers publishers, but I love that because college textbooks can be hundreds of dollars per course and you use it and then you can either try to resell it. Or if you're in, in Greek life, I know uh, sororities and fraternities have libraries sometimes of those textbooks, but um, it's a big expense. I love the idea of having a Netflix style subscription service. I do too. We know how expensive these books can be and having a subscription service to use the books for the amount of time that you're in advanced education or season of your life makes complete sense, especially if they give you access within your account to, to highlight and cut pieces to put in like a separate note or a word document. Um, I, I think that just makes complete sense. Uh, I, I personally, we talked about Kindles and, you know, uh, reading devices. One of the last times we had these uh, conversations, I do like a tangible book to read, but when Me it comes too. to like school, and using it only to gather information, to learn and extract pieces that you want to remain in your brain. I think a digital copy um, where you can rent it versus paying sometimes $300 or more for mm -hmm. one book. And even if you're renting it for that amount of time, like that's a lot of money and you only get a certain portion of that back in the rebate when you're, you're exchanging it. So this makes complete sense. And I'm surprised it actually has taken this long for, for this type of thing to be, a, to be a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it might be more environmentally friendly too, more sustainable than mm -hmm. um, publishing paper books. I, I don't know, but I, I thought it was pretty intriguing and yes, everything is going digital, including our clunky, huge, massive <laughs> college textbooks. So, all right, I got one more and then we'll hop on to Vanessa's last one, but I think this is super interesting. And this relates to the use of drones in Dubai to make it rain. So the average temperature in the summer in Dubai is like in the 120s, I believe. It's an incredibly hot place. However, it is also a place that has a cloud cover that um, makes it suitable for using combat style drones to shoot electricity into the cloud cover. And what that does is it causes water droplets to condense. And when they condense enough, they drop and it rains. So we're using drones to create rain. And I think that that's super cool. The only thing that um, is questionable about it is that it doesn't actually generate new rain. It just draws moisture from the cloud cover over the United Arab Emirates to the Dubai region. So where it rains in Dubai, you're taking water droplets from your neighbors. So, so anyway, but it's kind of an interesting technology. What do you think? That just sounds like something out of a movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this past weekend, uh, we were watching um, some really old medieval like movies with uh, my daughter on Disney Plus. Um, and it, this just reminds me of like, you know, uh, a tower, evil witch, 
you know, cloud <laughs> storming above, <laughs> lightning bolt, and then like a portal opens. <laughs> I don't know. But that's, that's insane. And, you know, obviously when we're using it for good, there always seems like there's like a, a caveat, right? Like mm-hmm. you're doing this and it's going to help this, but you're also taking away from something that's naturally supposed to be happening over here. But I, I do think that in the sake of like just talking about the technology and the, uh, the brain power that goes into creating something like that, I think it's fascinating. And what's really interesting, and I didn't know this, is that it was first, this this concept, it's called cloud seeding, was actually first performed in uh, 1923 in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, a professor, a college professor, flew into the clouds with an airplane and used various chemical compounds to create the precipitation. But now we're using electricity shot out of drones. And so... Uh, you know, there, there's hope. I think what Dubai is trying to do next is target the cloud cover over places where they can collect the water, basically, um, like ditches, basically, so mm-hmm. so that they'll mm-hmm. have the capability not only to attract the rain, but to have it not evaporate right away. But of course, it's, you know, all part of this larger conversation about climate change and how, how we're going to address that going forward, especially in parts of the United Arab Emirates, where some climatologists say the terrain will not be inhabitable by the 2050s just because it's so dry and so hot. So anyway, right. if you're interested in that, there's a website called Interesting Engineering that I found that talks a little bit about that. And I think if you just Google uh, drone rain and Dubai, <laughs> you'll pull up some articles to learn more so about. So another thing that's coming into my brain is like, how is that eventually, because if this is just the start of, of experimentation with this type of thing, when you're sending electricity up into the sky, is that, or will that eventually interrupt other types of digital connections and satellite connections because you're shooting electricity up into the sky, right? Like everything else revolves around these satellites that are uh, orbiting, you know? So like if you're shooting something up and I understand power and like reach, right. But it just seems like it would, it would make something glitch at some point in time, right? Maybe. I mean, there's a lot going on up there. I think we know. I think that like the satellites are higher. And theoretically, my understanding is that these drones are flying around sort of in the cloud cover, maybe zapping laterally. But you're right. It's it's creating a lot more electrical activity while it's going on in that exactly. specific area. And so who knows? I'm sure we'll, we'll have an update for that when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Well, and signals, like there's signals yeah. going back and forth everywhere. I mean, our phones are sending signals, our computers right. are sending signals. So, I mean, yes, I understand the, that satellites are out in space. However, all these other signals that are kind of, you know, in the sky <laughs> being zapped by electrical, you know, I don't know. It's electricity. I I, anyway, that's where my head's at. Um, very interesting though. And very cool uh, technology. So yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Absolutely. All right. So I just think this really relevant. Um, and, you know, I know that some of our audience may or may not have heard of this organization um, and in the world of esports, but uh, Blizzard Activision um, has been in the news as of late regarding some sexual harassment uh, allegations and several employees have come forward. The president, J. Allen Brock, has resigned. He's passing the torch to uh, a couple of other leadership uh, individuals that he feels are really going to to take Blizzard down a better path and realize its full potential. And we're talking about Jen O'Neill and Mike Ibarra. The allegations, Sue, I don't know if you've read about it, but they've been like severe. And 
in the spirit of our podcast and just talking about it, uh, about the things that we do and, and empowering women, this has been going on for a very long time at this organization. Partners that have realized this for a very long time have actually cut ties and have tried to guide Blizzard in the direction of, hey, you did this, we're going to slap you on the hand, you should donate money to these causes supporting women and all of that. But, you know, we're at a level now with the the type of damage they've done um, that they just need a, a rebrand completely. Um, and we're talking about not only people that work for them, but people who have interacted with them at different events that have been treated poorly. The things that these people feel entitled to tell women or to touch them in, 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 um, social settings. I, am just, I'm appalled. I, I, I'm shocked. Um, and I'm saddened as well because as human beings, like, how dare you, you know, I'm shocked. And I, at the same time, I'm not shocked. And here's why, if you look at a lot of the gaming industry and how women are portrayed and the characters that are animated, is it really shocking and surprising that men in that industry, and it is largely a male-dominated industry, would objectify women in the real world. I mean, and I, I just say that because I have, you know, so many of those, I mean, it's, it's basically an industry where you have, and I'm not saying right or wrong, but it's a lot of uh, war games and it's a lot of very sexualized feminine bodies, female bodies, mm -hmm. who are, right? So, you know, that, I mean, to me, those two things are probably related in some way. It doesn't justify it in any way, but I think it's 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 a moment to take a step back and think about how female characters are portrayed, how women and femininity are portrayed in the gaming industry. Oh, 100%. I think that that definitely is a piece of it. And we always talk about creators and the diversity of your team and how important that is because the content yeah. that you create is um, influenced by the individuals creating it. So absolutely, I think that's a piece of it. And it's been a long time, right? We've experienced this not only in gaming, but in films and, and how women are portrayed. Right. I guess in my brain, when I say I'm shocked is when you're creating uh, you know, this fa fantastical world, there's like a, there's a layer. This, this is a, a, a fake quote unquote world. And I'm not saying it's right, but I guess I'm trying to make the comparison between something that is not real in a world you're engaging with versus a real human being and feeling like you can touch that human being in areas that are very private or literally talking and belittling them in, in sexual tone. I, I just think that there's like, there's this third layer here where it's like, okay, you have a screen, you're interacting with this world versus in person touching them or telling someone face to face. I think that is just... That's horrible. There's no filter. There's no hiding behind it. I'm just shocked at the sheer like gall of, of doing that to, mm -hmm. to a human being, you know? Well, if you think about it, if you took it and again, take it out of the sex realm and put it into like, if there were games being played that were very racially stereotypical and that, that were offensive, which, you know, that, that, um, again, stereotyped in a, in a negative and exploitative way, somebody of a different race, would you be surprised to find out at a conference that the person who creates those games is a racist and behaves in a racist way to, you know what I mean? But it doesn't make any of it right. It just, no. it just says this is an industry that has a mindset that to your point needs to have more diverse voices in it saying, mm, we need to think in a more 
updated way, guys. Mm -hmm. um, we need to create games and environments that don't rely on hypersexualization and demeaning of women in order to be entertaining. Because if that's what you find entertaining, then that is going to carry over into the rest of your life. And it's going to carry over into conferences and it's going to carry over into how you treat coworkers who fit into that stereotype that you have in your head. And it's going to create problems. So I am not I'm, I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked is, is my take. Yeah, no. And I, I understand your feelings. I understand your feelings of it being like a, a surprise just because of how egregious, you know, the allegations are. Um, but also saying, well, look at the pattern, you know, and yeah. that on that side of it, it's not as surprising. Um, to take this a step further, we obviously have the sexual harassment, but it's also, you know, the the commentary that has been exchanged between um, employees that have that now, you know, been brought to light um, and whether that be partners or other employees uh, that are women um, have been almost just um, questioning their intelligence and like, you know, going back to women don't know anything about technology or gaming or, you know, what do you know about X, Y, and Z? Um, and it has been very blatant. It has been very blatant, but demeaning the intelligence of women um, in this space, uh, which is, again, like, how dare you, you know, mm -hmm. and, and one of them particularly, and I'm not going to name names and all that. You can read that the articles yourself. Um, however, one of them particularly was uh, a, a woman who dated someone who worked for Blizzard in entertainment as well, or Activision. Um, and they were both in the same role and he got hired around the same time. He was getting paid more than she was. So again, you're seeing that uh, inequity of, 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 gender again and that that gap that we need to somehow some way even though we're having these conversations and we're being really really vocal and loud about them we need to connect the dots like, what is it going yeah. to take well i think one thing it's going to take and this is such a strong case for having a diverse industry right if you have a bunch of and i'm not going to say that please hear me i'm not saying that every Every male in the gaming industry is a sexist guy or is a nerd or, you know, it's easy to stereotype both directions, right? And Absolutely. we don't want to do that. However, what we can say is that when you have an environment where it's pretty much a concentration of one type of person, then you're creating an echo chamber for mm -hmm. that type of person. And then the behaviors and the mentalities and the perspectives are strengthened within that echo chamber. So what you need to do, one of the, the solutions is to increase the diversity of the people in that space so that it is no longer an echo chamber so that you get the perspective of the person who's being objectified, who's being hypersexualized, and you go, yeah, okay, woo, uh, you hadn't thought about that before because again, I was in echo chamber before. So more diversity in the gaming industry, I think is an important place to start. And a shout out to all the women who are breaking into, into that world um, because it's not easy to be in that first vanguard. Mm -mm. And a shout out to the women that have been there, uh -huh. that have been like objectified, that have been um, dealing with this type of uh, behavior because it's not right. And, you know, it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of bravery to come out and speak against 
the the greater the greater majority in the room and it's just a fact that we are the minority and it's been it's really really hard to do that um the culture here has been described that's we've talked about bro culture but it was like a frat house and mm-hmm. if you have that stigma of you know old school frat houses that is not positive in any which way right. um so you know it's I'm, I'm happy that it's been brought to light. I, I really do hope that Blizzard takes the actions and steps to do the right thing, to empower their employees, to diversify the voices, to empower women and right this really big wrong. I mean, mm-hmm. you take this, this is an opportunity area. This is an opportunity moment. So, so take it and do something really big and great with it. Um, because I, I do think that there's light on the other side. You know, you can take this moment and really start from the ground up. Who do we need to remove from the situation? Who do we need to bring into the situation? Exactly. And again, to all the folks who are out there who are gamers, who are developers, who are not part of the problem, you know, we just want to acknowledge you as well because we know you're out there and you can be part of the solution uh, by advocating. Absolutely. Advocating for the right things. I want to thank personally all the people that I know that are in this industry um, that Mm -hmm. are men that are wonderful human beings that are, you know, so inclusive and open-minded and just have great energy and spirit. And we need more of those, those men out there um, within this industry, because and I know them firsthand, Sue, you know them firsthand. Um, we have mutual friends and we need those people to shine and to call out the other bad behavior and, and, and bring more women up and lift them up into this, into this conversation and to empower them. So I just want to thank, thank the people that I know because they're yes, wonderful absolutely. to your point. Sir. All right. We thank everybody for joining us. As always, um, if you have suggestions for topics that you'd like to have us cover, if you have thoughts about this episode, please reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us at wegetreallyf at gmail.com, or you can go to our website and leave a comment. Also, we have a new company, Mike Drop Creative. That's M-I-C-D-R-O-P, Creative. And uh, you can check out what we're doing there as well and get in touch with us through that website. But otherwise, we look forward to chatting with everyone next week. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.wegetrealaf.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.